Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Well, welcome, church. Uh, It's a privilege to be back and speaking to you uh, this morning or this afternoon or wherever, whenever this is playing. I have the weighty task of continuing the topic and the challenge that we've been on, on um, prayer, uh, with the topic of confession and repentance. Um, Perhaps not something that you signed up for with great enthusiasm, um, but I think it's a critical part of the the Christian life. And so I want to share a few thoughts with you. Um, And my hope is that it's uh, challenging, but deeply encouraging and ultimately life-changing. So um, I'm going to pray before I begin, and, uh, and then we'll dive in. Let's do that. Father, thank you for uh, your church in all its facets and foibles and mistakes and victories and the way you use it in your world uh, to bring hope. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear uh, the phrase confession and repentance. And depending on your background, you'll have a wide range of opinions on what those things are. Um, my hope is uh, to draw out a few ideas from the scriptures and uh, some things that I've been reflecting on this week um, in the hopes that if those topics daunt you or are challenging, that um, they'd be less so. Um, because I think that Uh, ultimately, confession and repentance are some of the most powerful tools that the Scriptures give us about living a life that's faithful and real. So, uh, for those that uh, haven't been with us for the last challenge, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. Uh, That's found in a number of Gospels, but particularly in Matthew chapter 6. And if you grew up in the church in a different tradition, that might be uh, something that you would recite uh, regularly. So, the Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us or our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then if you grew up in the Uh, Some traditions, they'd say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And then the choir plays or whatever your tradition might have. Uh, The focus uh, of confession and repentance, I think, is um, one of the most profound because within the the biblical story, uh, we're told of not just a God who created the world, but that that world goes astray. And the first time, actually, the, the, the idea or root word in the Old Testament of repentance is used is actually referring to God in Genesis chapter 6, where it says, God regretted his heart hurt at the way that his creation had rebelled against him. That's uh, perhaps one of the saddest passages in the Bible. That's the kind of concept that I was thinking of unpacking today, is that repentance in the Old, but particularly in the New Testament, talks about the change of direction or changing the heart, changing the one and the way one thinks about God. It's uh, the time 
excuse me, in the, the, the passages that Jesus speaks about repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Um, the, 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 this holds this concept that we've been kind of talking about for the last couple of months, which is that if we're going to take on God's kingdom, uh, his values, his, um, his mandate for his creation, that's his kingdom. And one of the first things we do is actually repent of our own kingdoms. You know, the ones where we're the boss, we're the ones that call the shots, we're the ones that's just, that decide what's, what's right and wrong and what we're here to do and um, pursue. Those are the little kingdoms that we're called to repent of. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of what leads someone to repent, I think of a couple stories. Um, one... One is a fairly well-known book written by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. Maybe you've heard of this or more likely seen the musical or a number of years ago, the movie, the film with um, Anne Hathaway and Russell Crowe. And uh, it was an incredible rendition of um, what was one of the top Broadway musicals for something like 30 years. And the story is about a man by the name of Jean Valjean, who, uh, for stealing a loaf of bread, finds himself in hard labor for 19 years. And uh, he, he gets out of prison, but he's pursued by a constable named Javert, who is almost, he's just relentless in looking for Jean Valjean, who um, leaves prison after 19 years hardened and angry um, angry at the world, angry at himself, certainly angry at God. Um, now, the, the book actually talks about his hardness of heart leading to some incredibly cruel moments where he uh, watches a little boy who loses a coin and it rolls to his foot and he steps on it. And the little boy is looking for his coin and he refuses to give it back. And it carries with it this idea of this cruel hardening of the heart. And of course, um, in no time, starving and um, poor, he finds his way to the, a, a bishop uh, who lets him spend the night and uh, shares a, a meal. And that night, he steals two candlesticks. He's quickly caught and is brought back to the bishop, who, instead of pressing charges tells the constables that uh, not only did he give him the candlesticks, but that he forgot the rest of the silver. Constables leave, and uh, the, the bishop tells Jean Valjean, with, with this silver, I've bought your soul for God. And there's this moment where all of a sudden, Jean Valjean is confronted by immeasurable grace. In fact, loving kindness uh, for a debt that he couldn't pay, not only to be forgiven, but basically given a new start, a new lease on life. And if you know the rest of the story, it goes on where he, uh, where he actually becomes the mayor of a small town and is, is committed to caring for the poor and the destitute. And he meets, uh, uh, you, you probably need to see the rest of the film or the, or, or read the book or see the musical, but the, there's a, there's a moment where uh, it's one of my favorite songs in the, in the whole thing. It's called Who Am I? 
where Jean Valjean is wrestling with the idea that someone has been caught and they look like him. And he is wrestling with the idea of, ought he come clean? Ought he be honest about who he is? And the lyrics go, who am I? Could I conceal my face forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before. Uh, Let this man go and face charges in my place. And ultimately, he decides to go and come clean. It's this mo- it's moment in this movie where repentance changes the story. Repentance in light of God's incredible kindness or the priest's incredible kindness. And it changes the trajectory of God, of, of, of his life. Now, a much less... Uh, known show, uh, and not one that I would recommend, is is actually, uh, and I'm going to confess here that um, I'm not a big binge watcher of many things, but we were recently given a, um, a box set of a, of a series called Breaking Bad. Now, again, I don't necessarily recommend this. Um, the whole premise of, of this film or this um, miniseries, if you will, which aired a number of years ago, is about a chemistry teacher who decides to uh, he has cancer, and he decides, to, in order to support his medical bills and his family, uh, decides to start cooking meth. Six seasons of a story that goes from bad to worse, to worse, to worse. And ultimately, and I'm typically drawn to stories of redemption, you know, the ones that finish well, where you're like, this is amazing. There was reconciliation, and, and the movie ends, this didn't end well. Uh, and I think my wife mentioned, wow, this shows that the wages of sin is death. And it's true. It, it ends. Um, well, I won't say how it ends. But what you find is that throughout the whole thing, there's a, a thousand wrong decisions, a thousand decisions made in the direction of destruction. And at any point in that, you're kind of waiting for the, the, the main character to stop to consider the damage that's being done and to repent, to change the direction, the course that he's going, the, the, the trajectory towards destruction and say, oh, God, what have I done? And get on a different path. Now, that, that kind of idea of re- repentance is, is really one part. Uh, confession of repentance, two sides of, I think, the same coin. But within the like the biblical narrative, the notion of our being saved by the life that Christ lived and the death that he died that we deserve. If you picture that as this kind of rainbow, um, say one of the colors is forgiveness. And the other color is going to be the, the, the grace of God. Well, one of those colors is repentance. So, so while this, this, this beautiful rainbow, which depicts this incredible and complex, beautiful story of God— the red is really red, and the blue is really blue. And so for confession and repentance, knowing God will always require it. It will always require not just a moment in our lives where we go, well, I'm going to confess and repent of the sins of my, of my path and come to Christ, and then everything is going to be easy, or everything is going to be struggle-free, or those sins that I'd committed prior to knowing Christ, I'll never wrestle with again. That's actually not the complete story. Our lives, though our position before God changes, and we are sons and daughters of God, 
in the words of Martin Luther, in the first of his 95 theses that he nailed to the door in Wittenberg in, in, in the 1500s, at the beginning of the Reformation, it actually says that for the believer in Jesus, we live a life of repentance. And that doesn't mean as miserable sinners that are always repenting and confessing for, you know, being miserable. But we live a life looking to the character and the perfection of Jesus and recognizing the areas in our own life that, are, that aren't there yet. See, there's this beautiful passage in Philippians 1, verse 6, that says that the moment that someone comes to Christ, God is committed to bringing about the fullness of salvation for that person. He's as committed to that process of what's often called sanctification as we are. This process where we lay down the things that we thought that are not in alignment with who God is, and we listen to the voice of the Spirit to be conformed into His likeness. Now, you may be sitting there going, well, I'm not really sure if I've got anything particular to confess. And that may be true, although I would challenge you to think deeply about that. We've always got pride. We've always got things that stand in the way of us knowing God more deeply. But another helpful way uh, is, is asking yourself, um, what, is, what is the fruit that my life is yielding? So that Galatians talks about um, fruit being love and joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And an honest assessment of how am I going in growing in those things? Now, that doesn't mean we, we're tilling away and trying really hard, but ultimately maturity in Christ is something that will be seen as fruit and been walking on this Christian life journey for long enough to go, that doesn't come without a level of coming clean honestly before God with the wrestling, with the things that I wrestle with, the struggles that I might face, um, the, the way that I've been impatient towards people in my life or neglected to care enough to listen to people who are wrestling or struggling. Pendence, I think, think often means saying less and doing a lot more listening. And I can't remember a time in kind of church history and certainly my life where stopping and listening is as critical as it is right now. Maybe that's on political lines. Maybe that's along ideological lines But we thought, no, no, this is the Christian view on a particular issue. Um, we need to listen again. Listen again to the people on the margins who are crying out. And for those of us who don't know what that's like, stopping and saying, ooh, what have I missed here? Where can I speak less and listen more to those voices? There's a well-known passage in Romans um, chapter 2, uh, which I'll just read briefly because I think, it's, I think it's a really important one. I had my Bible marked there, but then it came out, so bear with me. If you want to go there, I think it's in uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 6. It just says, um, Do you despise the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? It's God's kindness. I don't know if you've ever tried to have get someone to repent. Maybe it's through um, repeating all the 
the sins that they've committed against you or <laughs> the times they've hurt you. People don't tend to respond well to that. It's one of the things I love about that passage. It's actually God's incredible kindness that leads us to actually repent and turn our hearts back, softens our hearts. And isn't that the way? Isn't that the way of Jesus? I came across this commentary as I was preparing, and I found this incredibly encouraging. I wonder if you will too. During Jesus's ministry, it gave great offense to many respectable people that a religious teacher, such as Jesus, should have so little regard for what was expected of him as to consort with those who were no better than they should be. If this man were a prophet, said Simon the Pharisee to himself, when Jesus allowed a woman of uh, doubtful reputation to touch him, he he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Jesus knew perfectly well what sort of woman she was, and for that very reason would not prevent her from paying him such embarrassing attention. Among all the traditional designations of Jesus, possibly none is more heartwarming than being the friend of sinners. See, the moment that we come clean and are honest about our sins, about missing the mark, the moment we're in good company. Jesus' kindness expressed in the gospel towards sinners, those who were seen by so many as unworthy of attention and respect and listening to. Jesus was known to be not just tolerable, but a friend of to the exclusion of others, like he would rather hang out with sinners than the squeaky clean and righteous. So are you a sinner? A sinner and a saint because of what Jesus has done? We find the words in Romans 7 to be particularly applicable. We do what we don't want to do. We don't do what we know we should do. Who will save us from this body of death? Praise be to the Lord Jesus for all that he did. One of the most amazing things that we get to do, we get to share in, is the life of Jesus. Because we turn from our old way of life, a way that ignores God, the one that says, God, you stay over here and I'll take it. And one of the most tactile things that we do, and when we gather, when we do in person, but even now when we gather is we, we remind ourselves through something tactile of what has been afforded us. And so my hope is that you've prepared something in advance to share what's known as the Lord's Table, uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, where, where we remind ourselves of what has been afforded us through the body and the blood of Jesus. And if you know it, or sorry, if you've prepared that, then I'd encourage you to to get that now. The practice goes that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. And he said to them, this is my body broken for you, and it's for you to take in. So join me now. Likewise, he said to his disciples that, This is my blood shed for you.
We can't work our way back to God. It's a gift to be received. His blood was poured out for us. And share that with me. New Testament says that we do these things in remembrance of him. And that as we do them, we remember what he's done. And we declare his death, not as some miserable thing, but that that is the price that God was willing to pay on our behalf. So in remembering Jesus' death on our behalf and declaring that, uh, confessing that over our lives, I'm going to pray for us and pray that this week what I've said sticks with you and helps to shape us to live lives. Uh, not just of repentance, but the life that comes out of that. So would you join me? Father, I pray that uh, for every person listening, that those secret things, those things that we're perhaps ashamed of, that you'd give us the courage and the vulnerability enough to confess what they are, perhaps to a close friend, but certainly to you. God, thank you that uh, you accept us. And if we ever doubt that, that that picture of your death would be a reminder that you took shame itself and nailed it to a cross so that we could boldly come before you to live the life you've called us to. Jesus, amen. Amen.